Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. I tried to make it a little bit more low-key there in the beginning. I didn't want to necessarily blow you out of your seat. I don't know why. I just, you know, I'm just trying to be thoughtful. Trying to be thoughtful. Doesn't always work out, but that's how it... That's how it is. Good morning and welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? It's Tuesday. This is the, um, I think this is going to be the one day this week that we're really going to do our last focus on political issues and everything else. Oh, oh, we probably will do some on Friday for Firearms Friday, but for today only, at least, because, I mean... Come on, it's Christmas. Who needs all that stuff? It's like, I would rather have my teeth drilled or eat a bar of soap or lick a cat's butt or something. I mean, I'd rather do any of those things rather than, you know, talk about. Anyway, uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is going to be joining us, ak4sb.com. You can go check him out over there. He's going to come on board and hit us with a weekly top three. I'm not even going to bother to give you a tease of the top three because Brad Keithley is right here right now. And why <clears throat> Why do his job? I mean, he's got to bring something to this party. Jeez. And he joins us this morning. <laughs> Hey, what's happening, Bradley? What's uh, what's going on? What's uh, what's going on? I forgot to grab my Scrooge hat. Oh, I forgot to go grab it out of the closet and put it uh, on. Maybe put I'll that... do that next week. Yeah. But next week you're going to make me into a nice guy. So next week know. you're the nice guy. Next week it's all just hanging out and uh, talking about Christmas memories. And uh, I mean, we did that last week with with uh, week week before with Mike Shower. And I got to tell you, it was a lot of fun. We had a, we just had a grand old time. It was, uh, it was, it was enjoyable. <clears throat> Let's put it that way. It was enjoyable. And uh, so, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes you just got to let it go, Brad. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. I'm sure there's a song in there somewhere, but. Um, it it probably, probably goes to let it snow, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. Let it, let it go. Um, but anyway, so this week we've got one final week of pain. Now you're going to join us next week for the kind of the uplift on the last, cause that's, we're coming to the end folks. Uh, and Brad, you haven't put up your famous wine smoothie on the recipe contest yet. I know you're talking about it. You know, I've been, I've been trying out different ways. There's, I've made a brandy smoothie. I've made a bourbon smoothie. I've made oh. a gin a gin smoothie. Never try a gin smoothie. Oh, God, Never, no, ever, ever. No, I can't see that. I can't see that working out. I just can't see that working out. But, but, but you know, the brandy smoothie and the and the bourbon smoothie actually have potential here. Okay, all right. Well, we'll we'll look forward to that recipe hitting the recipe contest. Which, by the way, next Tuesday is the final day to um, to put it up there. But you got to get folks to vote for it. So the sooner the better. We'll be announcing the winner next Wednesday. 
And uh, I've got a couple of certificates to point blank firearms for basic pistol classes. That's one prize. And then the second prize, uh, or depending on what your proclivity is, could be the first prize, is a bag of beer, curler coffee, and a six o'clock coffee mug. So, six o'clock club. Six o'clock club. Okay, Brad, you should take it over right now. Uh, (laughs) Weekly top three. Uh, Let's get into it. Here we go. Um, hit me with the big stuff. And first and foremost, this is some honesty out of the Binkley family. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. What a setup. I know. Setup. Just, I'm only here to help. I just, I just lob them across the plate. You smash them out of the park. Go. So the ADN editorial board, uh, what we, what I've sometimes called on the show, the Binkley family blog. Uh, has an editorial this week that, that has the uh, has the headline, let's be honest about what's going on with snow removal. And basically, basically what the Binkley family <laughs> blog is doing is, is they're going to, is they're starting to run through a list of everything they think Alaskans don't like, and then they're blaming it on the PFD. So this week, you know, it, up to now, it's been mostly K through 12. You don't like, you don't like, you know, K through 12 results. We need more funding. Uh, blame it on the PFD. We need to cut the PFD more in order to increase K through 12 spending. Uh, spending. But now they've sort of got, got it in their mind that, hey, Alaskans don't like what's going on with snow removal. You know, in Anchorage, we don't like what's going on with snow removal. The, the peninsula's had issues. The valley's likely had issues. Uh, with with snow removal, so guess what? Let's blame let's blame that on the PFD too. Yeah, and so this whole let's be honest about what's going on with snow removal is we can't have good snow removal, just like we can't have good K through twelve. We can't have good re- snow removal because we've been cutting the budget to pay the PFD. If it wasn't the damn P, if it wasn't for the damn PFD, we would have clean streets. We would have. We would have trucks out there, you know, the, oh, the second after the snow hits, There'd be uni- rushing it away. There'd be unicorns and puppies and butterflies if we just didn't have that damn PFD, right? Exactly right. And so, you know, that's that's going to be their, that looks like it's going to be their mode from now on. Let's let's poll what Alaskans like least or what La- Alaskans hate most, and let's blame it on the PFD. Let's write an op-ed that says, that, that says it's the PFD's fault. Here's the, here's the truth. The honesty that the Binkleys don't want you to know, though, is is people aren't pushing back on on PFD cuts because they they hate snow removal. They they want to they want to you know uh, 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 cut snow removal. People are put at least me are pushing back on PFD cuts because they have the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy of the fiscal tools available of the revenue tools of tools available. They have the largest adverse impact on the overall Alaska economy and, and are the most costly, according to ICER, by far to 80% of Alaska families. Other revenue tools are much better. The problem or the, the, the honest truth the Binkleys don't want to focus on is they would have to pay for it. They would have to contribute, they non-residents of the old companies would have to contribute to the costs of snow removal if we used better, less adverse fiscal tools. And so what they're trying to do is keep you focused on the PFD, keep you focused on you can't have snow removal, you can't have good schools, you probably can't have Christmas uh, because of the because of the PFD, um, and and keep you focused on that rather than focus on 
rather than focus on what's really going on, which is we need more revenue to do these things. How would how's what's the best way to raise the revenue? Oh my gosh, it would it would tax us. It would tax the Binkleys uh, to 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 pay for it. So you know we can't have that. So let's keep the focus on on the PFD. Basically, basically what the Binkleys want to do is create a state where they get everything they want. They get K through 12 funding, full funding. They get snow removal. They get you know broadband to every place in the state, paid for by uh, paid for by the state or contributed by the state, so they can everybody can access the ADN online and access all those great ads online. Basically, they want everything they want, but they don't want to pay for it. They want right mid, middle and lower middle and lower income families to pay for it. And so every time you see these op eds. Oh, we we can't have K through twelve. Johnny can't learn because of the PFD. We can't have snow removal because of the PFD. Hey, you know why? We can't have you, broadband you know, because of the PFD. You know why Santa Claus doesn't show up because you're getting your PFD. That's right. You don't <laughs> need Santa Claus. No, none for you, baby. It's all the PFD. But they want all that. They want all that. They want K through twelve full funding. K through twelve. They want defined benefits. It's like Kathy Giesel or 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 Natasha von Imhoff or Click Bishop. They want all that fully funded by the state, but they don't want to contribute to the costs. Right. So let's blame it all on well, the PFD because and try to keep people focused on the PFD. Because the PFD is corrupting. I mean, come on, you guys will just buy booze with it or go on vacations or do hookers and blow or something with all that money. I mean, it's going to, it couldn't possibly be used for anything good. I mean, that's, that's why you just need to shut up and let us have it because we know better than you how to spend that money. Yeah, exactly right. As opposed to as opposed to the, you know, the marginal revenue, the marginal income that the Binkley's are using to, you know, fund their vacations in Hawaii or fund their vacations in Mexico or or fund their purchases of, of, of hockey teams. I mean, that's what they're using in, instead of contributing to the to the costs of Alaska government like everybody else. The Binkley's when they when they're able to push all the costs off on the PFD, they have, you know, free income that otherwise they would have to use to, to pay for the cost of government. They've shifted that to somebody right. else. Proportionally, so what are they using right. their free income for? Well, they're using it for trips to Hawaii and trips to trips to to to, uh, to Mexico and, and, you know, various expenditures that are good because it's theirs as, as opposed to the expenditures of the marginal PFD income that middle and lower income Alaska families would, would get, which is what? Pay for groceries? <laughs> pay for a snow machine, pay for some, you know, for something that would that would benefit their lives. The Binkleys want it all to benefit right. their lives. A little gasoline, maybe a little heating fuel, maybe some tires for the car, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, the whole thing is just now we're talking proportionally. Their, uh, their fair share is what Brad's talking about tonight because everybody's losing the PFD. But when you look at it as a portion of the income, holy cow, and especially the portion of the income that would go further to actually stimulate the economy in the form of things like, you know, entrepreneurship and job creation and some of these other things. All that other money is, no, oh, it's just going to the state. They'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. It's, I mean, yeah. it's, it's ultimately frustrating for sure. Well, it is. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating when, when the bank police try to cloak themselves in the mantle of honesty, right? We're honest. We're going to tell you what's really going on. And you're really not getting snow removal because of the PFD, or you're really not getting snow, snow removal because of the K, K, you're really not getting K through 12 because of the PFD. You're really not getting broadband because 
of the PFD. I mean, just name it. Name whatever shows up in the polls as the thing Alaskas hate most, and you're not getting it because of the PFD. It's all the PFD's fault. And that's that's not honest. You're not getting it because the state doesn't have enough revenues and to, to, to pay for all that stuff. And rather than confront the fact, rather than confront the fact of what's the best way to raise revenues and then do Alaskans want to participate in raising revenues that way, rather than go down that road, they just want to say, that's no, the PFD. It's well, always the PFD. And they always try and make it a single issue. It's always the PFD. It has nothing to do with low employment numbers. It has nothing to do with a long-term lack of a long-term plan. I mean, this this equipment, in the, story, in the article, they talk about how, uh, you know, we're not nearly as well equipped as we were 10, 15 years ago. And every, but that's a 10 and 15 year problem. I mean, Dunleavy's only been here for four, five years now. Uh, that's not just an instant problem. This stuff has been breaking and falling apart and not being replaced for years. And they're spending money on what? Uh, you know, they have, a, they, again, they're not dealing with the historically low employment numbers that we're having right now. People, I went to Safeway the other day to pick something up and at six o'clock, they, I mean, by 530, they had closed down the deli and the meat counter with signs up there saying, sorry, due to staffing problems, we can't stay open. I mean, this is not just a DOT problem or a state problem or a teacher problem or whatever. There's a lot of factors here. And to distill it down to the PFD is disingenuous at best and outright, let's be honest, dishonest at worst. It is. And, and it's just, I mean, we're, we're going to see this. We're going to see this through the entire session. We're seeing it in the buildup to the session. We're seeing it. We're going to see it through the entire session. The op-ed, the ADN op-ed page is going to blame every damn thing that they can on the PFD in an effort to cut the PFD because they don't want to pay for funding it themselves. They want to push the costs off on middle and lower income Alaska families. They want to use the tool that has, they don't care that we're using the tool that has the largest adverse impact on the overall economy. It doesn't affect their economy. They get more money out of it. They have the state funding all these things that, that benefit them. You want papers delivered? Ooh, let's, let's make sure the roads are cleared. Um, uh, you, want, you want online access? You want online access to all those ads we run? Ooh, let's make sure there's broadband out there. <laughs> They're getting all those things they want. They're trying to get all those things they want free to them. Right. By, by forcing middle and lower income Alaska families to pay for it. And that's the honest truth. Not, not this, let's be, you know, let's be honest about snow removal. It's the PFD. The honest truth is they want a fully funded, everything for free state they, that they don't have to pay for. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Up next, it's K through 12. This <laughs> The other pillar of the new legislative session, Talking Points. We'll continue with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets in just a moment. It is The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. the show you can listen to it on your time with dukes on demand oh and it's free like america used to be streaming live every weekday morning on facebook live and michaeldukesshow.com well 
Brad Keithley, Alaskans for a Sustainable Budget. That's the thing. I mean, this is really the this is like politics of the lowest common denominator where there are so many issues. I mean, this is like the problem with Twitter when it was only, I don't know, whatever it was, you know, hundred characters or whatever you're trying to distill, distill down a, a complex problem into a single soundbite or into a single issue. And it's not just a single issue. It's not just a single thing, but they're going to make it about it. They're going to leverage that to the maximum advantage of everything they can do. Like I just talked about the low employment numbers and I mean, all this other kind of stuff. None of that matters. What matters is, oh, well, this is because you were greedy enough to take that PFD. And if you weren't greedy enough to take that PFD, we could all have what we want. <laughs> and, and. For, for the Binkley family, we could have it for free. I mean, we, right, could, we right. could have all what we want. We wouldn't have to contribute to it. We everything would be great. Uh, and and we could, you know, we could just keep all that money in our lives and not have to not have to contribute to the cost of any of it. Because you've done such a great job with every I mean, here's the thing, Donna just nails it. She says, I guarantee poor government outcomes will remain when your PFDs are gone. I mean, because government has done such a great job with all the money that we've given to them thus far. All we need is to give them more. M-O-A-R. More. We need more money. If we just had it all, we could take don't you you don't worry about it. We could take care of it. I mean that that's what it comes down to, right? I mean that's that's the whole that's the whole point. Yep, and that's and that's what they want to make it. I mean that they see a pot of, you know, a, a billion dollars, excess of a billion dollars still sitting there uh, mm-hmm. uh that uh, that they can access uh, uh through uh through PFD cuts and they want to go after it. They want all this other stuff. And they want all the other stuff that they wouldn't have to pay for. They want to go after it. And it's just uh, it, you know, it, it, when you, when you see it that way, when you see what they're doing, it really gets sort of sickening. It really gets sort of, come on guys. I mean, I mean, you, you're being very transparent here. You're going out and you're polling, you're trying to find the thing Alaskans hate most, and then you're going to stick that on the PFD. That's, that's, that's exactly what you're, what you're doing here. And it's, it's just, I mean, it, it, it's redundant. It's, it, it is, it is dishonest it is everything that that you know bad that i can say this last week that you'll let me say bad things uh, uh it's it's just it, it's just it's just being misleading to the public wait the newspaper is being misleading to the public i mean <laughs> i thought after we got rid of hearst that was never going to happen again that was the whole that was the whole point um, it's so disingenuous when politicians deflect and ask citizens to give up things like the PFD rather than focusing on their spending issues. I, this is an argument that I've been making for years. I mean, Brad, you know, in this state, do we have a spending problem or do we have a revenue problem? Or as I'm saying now, do we have a, a revenue problem because we have a spending problem? I mean, that's really what it came down to. It used to always be framed as, oh, well, we've got a revenue problem. I mean, we've got all these other things. We've got to spend this much money. It's always a revenue. And now here we are. Now here we are in a true revenue problem because we just can't control our appetite for spending. We 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 can't, Michael. I mean, but we proved that in 2019, right? When the when when the governor tried to push back on spending and have the deep cuts that would be necessary to achieve to to match traditional revenues, to match spending to traditional revenues. When the governor tried to push back and do that, we had the state up in flames. We had 
you know, uh, uh, the recall petition that was almost there uh, uh, to recall him. We had legislators uh, turning on him. We had we could he couldn't even get 16 in the final analysis to support 16 legislators out of 60 to support his uh, to support his spending cuts. It just it. I mean, we, we do have a spending problem, but we, we have a spending problem that people don't want to cure. I love how the Binkley's too are going in about how the government cut, the governor cut, the governor. Show me where the governor cut. I mean, really, even with that 2019, they ended up spending what I think they cut $80 million out of a $8 billion budget. So, I mean, come on. It's, you know, uh, anyway. All right. Um, we're going to move on to number two, which has to do with the K through 12. Uh, more disingenuousness. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like, share, follow, subscribe. Let's get to it now. All right. <laughs> We're back. Brad Keithley, as he said, this is the last time I'm allowing him to be negative for the year. Be... <laughs> Next week, it'll be Brad Keithley's weekly top Christmas three. It'll be top holiday three uh, for Brad, which I know he's going to, you know, every week he, he could find easily find three things to talk about in the state government. Now it's going to be this is the challenge, Brad. You got to go find three things that are positive and holiday and Christmassy. It's going to be a hard one for you. You've got a, you've got a lot of homework ahead of you here at this point. Um, all right. Uh, the uh, the next uh, on our list of uh, of coal stocking filling ideas is uh, what's left out of the K-12 funding push. What's really, I mean, it's, it, again, they're talking about it. They've been talking about it for 18 months. What's the, uh, what's the next push here? What are they leaving out? Well, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of press out there. I mean, as we as we get closer to the legislative session, as people are starting to getting close to winding down for the holiday season, and then you know moving their offices to Juno and, and restarting uh, in Juno, there's all sorts of push going on for uh, increased K through 12 spending. KT uh, UU uh, KT whatever it is, whatever the KT UU, yeah, you got it. Um, uh, has a headline or had an article that uh, Anchorage School District facing $98 million, $98 million deficit, uh, and that they're restarting, you know, discussion of closing schools or or eliminating uh, programs or eliminating sports or eliminating all of the things. Sort of like sort of like uh, uh, the ADN, right? You know, let's poll what parents appreciate most and let's say we're going to eliminate them <laughs> first. Um, and get and get the parents activated, and so you know we've got we've got that uh, from uh, from the the Alaska news source. We've got a, a Cliff Grow op-ed in the ADN that says what a tour of Anchorage schools taught me, and basically it taught me that we, according to Cliff, it taught me that we need more money. Sort of everywhere we go, uh, everything you know he looked at, every school he looked at uh, uh, needs more needs more money. And then the, even the Fairbanks News Miner has a has an, uh, an op-ed that says the state of our schools and their never-ending budget battles, talking about you know the fair the the, the problems that Fairbanks is facing in school funding, uh, 
um, and and Fairbanks closed schools, and now that you know, facing the the need to close more and 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 the problems that uh, that Fairbanks is facing, uh, all that way. And then there was an article in the Peninsula Clarion about uh, the legislative delegation down there, the state senator and the two representatives appearing before the. Uh, the uh, uh, Peninsula School Board, the Kenai School Board, and and the Peninsula School Board pushing for uh, for more funding and more uh, 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 the need for uh, additional revenues down there. So it's generally it's just statewide in all of the major markets. It's it's you know we need more. We need uh, there's Juno Empire articles that do the same thing. We need more. We need more funding. What's being left out? Of, of almost every one of these articles and every one of these discussions is who people propose to pay for this increased spending. It's not like we have surplus money, although the House Coalition claimed that at one point, but it's not like we have surplus money sitting around someplace anymore. We drain savings in, in the 20 teens uh, and, and we don't have surplus money around anymore. So now we're talking about, now we should be talking about who pays for that additional spending uh, that everybody, uh, that everyone, everyone wants to do, and and you, you don't find it, you don't find that discussion, you don't find that discussion in the uh, in the, the 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 television article or the television clip about Anchorage School District facing ninety eight million dollar deficit. You don't find that in Cliff Grow's op ed. Cliff Grow, who claims to be the fiscal expert in the legislature, the legislature's fiscal expert, you don't find any discussion. Of who pays uh, in in his editorial, you don't find that uh, on the uh, on the pages of the of the news miner uh, in their editorial, and you don't find that in the discussion of of what went on at the school board. There is one place I've been able to find some discussion of that, and it's in a, a, a Peninsula Clarion article uh, about a about a presentation that Justin Ruffridge. Uh, one of the one of the Kenai reps uh, made to the Kenai Chamber of Commerce, and um, Ruffridge said, "So the question is, when there's a request for more funding, where do we think that funding should come from?" He said he sees three three options available. The state could either make the Alaska Permanent Fund dividend smaller, institute some type of statewide tax, or cut the state budget by about twenty five percent. Or try some combination of the three. Um, the article said that Ruffridge asked uh, for opinions. It doesn't say what the opinions were from those, but I can guess uh, when you're asking the State Chamber of Commerce, uh, which is a representative representation of businesses and those in the in the upper income bracket, I can guess what uh, what the answer was. And Ruffridge himself, during his last campaign, highlighted prominently. Uh, the Alaska Policy Forum uh, uh, analysis that said that we shouldn't do state sales or income taxes. The, the, the analysis that left out the PFD didn't analyze, didn't compare impacts of PFD cuts against sales taxes and income taxes, just said sales taxes and income taxes are bad. Um, and, and, and so, you know, Ruffridge himself has, has indicated in the last campaign what he what he thinks the solution is, but at least he mentioned that there is a question that that there is a question of who would pay uh, for these increases. But but that's the exception to the rule. Otherwise, across the board, you're just getting people pushing spend, 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 spend more on K through 12, spend more on defined benefits, 
to keep teachers here, uh, to reward teachers, um, uh, spend more on uh, 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 various aspects of of the educational system. I mean, we've got a we've got a final report coming from the uh, the childcare uh, task force the governor set up that's going to say subsidies. We have we need to have more subsidies for childcare providers. We need the state helping to pay for childcare providers. Now that's coming out of the governor's task force. Um, you, we're going to have all sorts of ideas on spending, but we're not confronting people when they say spend, spend, spend. We're not confronting them with 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 asking. So who do you want to pay for this increased spending? And I think that's the pushback that the press needs to be that the press needs to be doing, that representatives need to be doing. I will I will say that I'm I, I was pleased to see Ruffridge at least raise it, um, even if he doesn't give the right answer to it. But that's that's the kind of pushback that I think we need to have us as citizens. Um, and when we're talking about the press or when we're talking to our representatives, that's the kind of pushback we need to have uh, as we go into the session. And, and it's not there right now. You look across the board, all the state's newspapers, television stations, radio stations, it's not there right now. Well, and this goes back to the discussion on who's doing the, you know, who's actually doing reporting or is it just paraphrasing of press releases? I mean, I sent you an article this morning uh, specifically on that first article from from KTUU which talks about the $98 million funding shortfall in the, uh, um, in the, in the school district for Anchorage. And yet <clears throat> David Boyle points out that in their most recent, uh, in one of their most recent meetings, they pull it all together and they show the actual amount of money that they have on hand and shows that their fund balance is way overfunded because of a COVID loophole, uh, that they are carrying something like 20, 21% of a fund balance that a huge chunk of that $98 million is in their general fund right now just sitting there because they're being allowed to hold more than they used to, and they can legitimately say, oh, we have a shortfall, instead of spending the money that they – I mean, it's all – It's a sh what I'm saying is it's a shell game, and no reporter seems to be digging deeper into it to go, well, wait a second. Am I taking what you're saying at face value, or am I looking at the numbers myself? They're all basically just – parroting each other at some point or again re-paraphrasing the press release that they got from the the minority the majority the whoever it is that's pushing this they're not really digging into um the actual numbers the facts the stats getting the other side it's it's all become very very one-sided and lazy in that regard lazy certainly lazy certainly and it's backed up i mean let's be honest michael it's backed up by editorial boards like the adn editorial board or backed up by by publishers like like runs the adn editorial board that that has a result in mind they want to push they want to push this burden uh, down to the to the pfd they want to push it off on middle and lower income alaska families and so the reporting you know used to be well <laughs> maybe we still have this fiction that that the editorial board is separate from the, the 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 philosophy of the editorial board is separate from the philosophy of the reporters. The reporters there are are there for facts. I just don't think that's right. I think I think that the the publishers are pushing the 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 news reporters. News reporters are lazy. News reporters are just reporting whatever whatever press release they get. Uh, but I think the publishers are you know turning turning a blind eye to that and saying, well, you know. Don't delve for any more facts. You've got the facts you need. You've got, you know, this press release gives you the facts you need. Or going and talking to the 
to the superintendent of the of the Anchorage School District gives you the facts you need. Don't worry about getting don't worry about getting any more. Um, and 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 yes, we're so we're having this we're having this landslide of, of reporting on the education system that is one sided, that is biased, that is only reporting the we need more and more and more um, side of the story. And of course, the answer that you and I have talked about is, uh, you know, some of the recommendations of the fiscal policy working group where everybody where there comes from a little bit of everywhere, comes from a little bit of cuts, comes from a broad based tax, comes from taxing the oil company some more, comes from some, you know, some uh, uh, some capital or some uh, spending caps. It comes from a bunch of different things. But every time this is just what I was saying earlier, it's like there's one answer to every solution and it's the PFD instead of looking at it holistically. They're they're cracking on it on I mean on everything uh, you know instead of looking at the whole thing they just find the one thing and they keep drilling down on it and I guarantee you if they had the PFD tomorrow in next year it'd be well we still don't have enough it it's just it's a never ending story yeah yeah that's that's Alaska government Alaska government grows Alaska government doesn't stay constrained and when you try to constrain it like Dunleavy didn't. In 2019, you got people that pushed back. I mean, so we've trained. I, I, I get comments every one, once in a while on things I write. And and one of the comment was, is we've trained Alaskans to think they get everything for free. They get government for free. They get, you know, anything they want, they get for free. And 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 now that we've now that we're hitting the point where you can't get everything you want for free, the question is, who's going to pay? For for you know some of the additional things that you want, um, the answer is well I don't want to pay. I mean I I run the newspaper. I I, I take vacations. I don't want to pay. Let's make somebody else pay. Let's figure out how to make somebody else pay. And 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 the PFD is uniquely PFD cuts is a unique way in the in the world actually, um, as as. Uh, as Matt Berman from ICER once said, it's the most regressive tax ever proposed. It's a unique way in the world to shove the costs off on middle and lower income Alaska, Alaska families. It's a unique way for the top 20% to avoid bearing a, uh, a proportionate share uh, of, of the burden. It's, 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 and so we want everything for free, but now we can't have everything. We can't have it entirely free so let's figure out who pays for for the remainder and and the argument is let's shove it off on somebody that doesn't own the newspapers uh doesn't uh, uh isn't a publisher of the of the anchorage daily news or any of the newspapers let's shove it off on somebody else yeah uh brad keithley alaskans for sustainable budgets give me a quick tease of number three number three is is something you alluded to earlier which is there's some interesting news about the PFD uh, uh, that comes out of a study over in Kenya, of all places. But um, uh, a, an interesting insight into uh, uh, what there was universal basic income, but here uh, is the PFD. An interesting study about what one of the results of having uh, those sorts of payments are. And um, it's a, it's a, it, it provides some, some huge insights, I think, into, into what we're missing in Alaska through uh, through PFD cuts. All right, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We continue in just a moment.
listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Again, <clears throat> there is a solution on the table here, but nobody wants to take it because it, uh, well, it's a, it's a lot of work, uh, you know, because you'd have to basically look at the whole thing and you'd have to look at taxes. You'd have to look at cuts. You'd have to look at oil taxes. You'd have to look at all these things, but you and I are both in agreement that that's probably the best um and most responsible way to do it um and you but the problem is you get every one of those things hits a different special interest right i mean you hit the oil taxes and the oil companies go crazy and the chambers go crazy and everything else even though we all agree that there's still money left on the table there we talk about cuts the unions go crazy the thing you know we talk about taxes and the chambers of commerce again and the republican you know they all go crazy i mean everything has got some kind of special interest and unfortunately the one you know the people that keep taking it in the tailpipe are the general public who are like, you just keep taking the PFD. And again, they're trying to make a one-size-fits-all solution for a complex, multifaceted problem. Yeah, exactly right, Michael. I mean, that... I wrote a column once that said, we all know what the, we all know what the solution is. Why aren't we doing it? And the solution is what Dunleavy said in his, what the administration said in their FY21 10-year plan uh, which is what they call the balanced approach. Everybody gives a little. Um, everybody absorbs some of the costs, so everybody, you know, is involved in the balance between what we spend and what we cut. Uh, everybody has a little bit of the pain, so everybody is sort of sort of pushing back the balanced approach that Dunleavy that the Dunleavy administration talked about in the FY21 10-year plan. The comprehensive approach, different title, but sort of the same thing comprehensive approach that came out of the fiscal policy working group. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Nobody pays the whole thing. Uh, nobody bears the whole burden. Everybody sort of shoulders in on part of it. And as a consequence of that, everybody starts looking at the reasonableness of the spending because everybody's having to bear a share of the cost. And everybody's starting to to push back on increase in spend increased spending because everybody's having to, you know, face uh, face, you know, paying out some some share of the cost. Dunleavy even talked about that again last session uh, when he talked briefly about sales taxes um, and said, you know, what you want, what he said was what you want is, is where no one, no one group takes, takes an undue burden. Everybody shares a little bit. You don't try to pile it on uh, any one group. Everybody contributes to the solution. And as a consequence, everybody sort of pushes back on, uh, on increased spending. I th everybody sees that as the right solution. Everybody understands that would that's the that's that's what the economists tell us, and and that's what you know the 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 the, the analysts tell us is the right solution for the overall economy. It's the right solution for Alaska families. Everybody bears a little bit of the burden, and everybody uh, starts pushing back. But that's not what happens when you get to the legislative session. There, in the legislative session, it's winner take all. It's who has the most raw political power to force their will on everybody else, and and I win everything. And, and I win everything. And 
they in that context it's the it's the Binkley's it's the it's the as you say the unions it's the oil companies everybody who says I don't want to pay for any of it and and the and the and the the, the group with the least political power at the legislature turns out to be middle and lower income Alaska families turns out to be 80 percent of Alaska families the top 20 percent the trade groups all are able to protect their interests once you get down to Juno it's the 80% of Alaska families who aren't able to protect their interests. Right. Uh, and everybody sort of piles on and says, let's just dump it on them. Yeah. And we get the immediate pain of the lower 20%, but we get the long-term pain from the 40 to 80 percentile in the middle, who are the ones that would generally speaking, you know, do entrepreneurship, create jobs, do investing, you know, some of those other things with that money. And so it's like it's the gift that keeps on giving because you're damaging the overall economy. And that's part of that problem with that public-private disconnect that we talked about uh, with Rob uh, with Rob Myers is that we end up with that. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. It, 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 it just keeps – it's a self-reinforcing feedback loop of negative uh, outcomes. It is, yeah, and 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 it's it's a self-reinforcing impact of negative outcomes, but it's a self-reinforcing impact of the of of the upper income brackets and the oil companies always win. I mean, they always get the in, in the unions, they always win, they always get what they want out of the legislature, and it comes at the expense of eighty percent of Alaska families. And you're exactly right. Of, of that eighty percent, sixty percent of it is middle income Alaska families. A lot of people focus on. The bottom 20 percent and think we're arguing about the bottom we're not i mean it's the 60 percent in the middle uh that that are that are taking the hit they're paying more through pfd cuts than through any other revenue measure brad keithley alaskans for sustainable budgets we're coming into the final topic here for the weekly top three uh and then uh and then next week we're going to have the christmas top three brad's he's thinking about it already he's trying to figure out how to make that happen uh, how do we live? How do we live without uh, about without all these bad things happening? Uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Like, share, subscribe, ring the bell. Uh, let's get to it. Here we go. Public enema number one. Oh wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. No, I'm not. I'm not. Now, Brad, on the other hand, Brad, <laughs> on the other hand, could be. Uh, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, ak4sb.com is his website. Or you could just go out and argue with him on Twitter or Facebook. He loves that. He lives for your arguments out there uh, on those uh, platforms. Um, Brad, final uh, one of the weekly top three. Let's uh, let's let's dive into it here. So you've been foreshadowing it uh, uh, through the show. Nice, nice, subtle uh, mentions along the way. That's why um, they, that's why they pay me the big bucks. Uh, you know. <laughs> so Alaska Public Media, uh, uh, the, their website has reprinted an article from NPR. It's not one that that the APRN that the Alaska media themselves has written. Because uh, they're too focused on you know cutting the PFD, it's it's one from NPR and it talks about it's a lengthy article but an excellent article and the study it reports on is an excellent study. I've started digging into it. Uh, the headline is "Key Findings Released in Kenya Universal Basic Income uh, Experiment," and the discussion is about uh, an experiment that's been going on in Kenya of 
of, of funding a universal basic income for in certain villages uh, in Kenya to see what impact uh, that has. And they have villages, they have, it's a whole, you know, set up as a scientific experiment. They have villages that are being funded. They have similar villages with similar demographics, with similar economics that are not being funded. And they're comparing the the, the impact between the two, they're trying to establish, they're trying to, you know, look at whether the additional money that's going into the villages that are being funded is being wasted or being, uh, are being used for, uh, or how it's being used and what the impact is on those villages. And the, uh, the, the, the outcome of it is very interesting, I think, uh, from the standpoint of the PFD. It says uh, down in the article, it says, and the, and the report goes into this more deeply, it says the big news came from a different measure. And basically it's a measure, it's a, basically it's, a, it's an outcome that they really hadn't anticipated much. They measured for it, but they didn't, didn't really anticipate it. People's, quote, people's likelihood of starting a business. And in those villages that got funded, Evidently, there was more economic activity, not only in terms of consumption, uh, uh, which is something that's been noted about the PFD in Alaska, but in terms of taking the money uh, that they were that they were being given, and it wasn't it wasn't all that much, but taking the money they were giving given and start and investing it in starting new businesses. Um, it talks a little bit about how they about one of the big drivers of that they pooled the money, the villagers pooled the money and then gave loans sort of in sequence to uh, various uh, other of the villagers uh, sort of started a bank, uh, if you will, uh, village banks out of, uh, uh, or credit unions out of, out of, out of the money they got. But the amount of business activity, increased business activity, increased small businesses that got generated out of the PF, uh, generated out of the UBI payments uh, was something that they, something that sort of was a, 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 not a new learning that came out of the study, the significance of it, the size of it, the, the, the activity of it uh, was something that, uh, that, was, that was certainly new learning and certainly that stood out uh, in the course of the, uh, in the course of the experiment. I, I see that, I see that personally with the PFD. I've got, I'm, I'm a, an investor in a small business in Alaska and that small business got started when the person that owns it took their PFDs, uh, sort of bundled them over a couple of years and started a small business uh, and, and started the business, you know, on eBay and started it uh, through Facebook marketplace or whatever it was. And gradually that business has been building up and I, you know, saw an opportunity to invest in it uh, and, and help it, help it grow. But the core of it was, was through the investment of, of their PFDs. And what the Kenya and and so that's my you know uh, uh, episodic evidence of of or experience with how it, with how it occurs here, but the systematic study of it over in the Kenya study says that that sort of thing not only not only occurs in small parts it occurs in big parts and builds into builds into the major investments that are going on major investments for those size villages major investments that are going on in those those villages. Another part of the study said, ah, they didn't waste it. Uh, the money wasn't wasted on, uh, uh, on, on booze and drugs and, and everything else. There was <laughs> some small expenditures on that, but by and large, they were outweighed by a, a little bit of increased consumption, 
in terms of improved diet and in terms of improved personal mobility. Uh, they bought motorcycle, motor scooters or something out, out of it. Some investment in their existing businesses, uh, which is primarily agricultural, and some investment, new equipment, new seeds, new ways of, of going, on, uh, going, going on about that business. But the, but the biggest bump, the most unexpected bump was the starting of these, of these new, uh, new and additional small businesses. Well, yeah. Well, and the biggest thing out of that was that they said that the big news is, is that the recipients of this money uh, who received it in a lump sum instead of a monthly payment and used it for that investment, that their net revenues from their businesses was 80% higher than what the UBI could have given them because they used the money, they invested it, and they created new wealth, which is what we're talking about with the PFT. A lot of people, sure, people buy big screen TVs or they go to Hawaii, but a lot of people use it to invest in their businesses or create a business, and the overall long-term net revenue, 80%. I mean, it's a huge number. Yeah, it's, 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 it's something that I'm not sure we've ever studied for. Uh, in Alaska, I haven't uh, uh, gone back to ask uh, uh, Scott or Gunner if it's if it's an issue that they studied for back in the old days, but it's not an issue I've seen the the new generation of ISA researchers uh, uh, study for in Alaska. But I know from my, as I say, I know from my own experience, it's going on uh, there. So it's it's um, it, it's something that that helps. I mean, we know we we have studied. ISA has studied. And this is where we get the biggest adverse economic impact finding. We know that that PFDs are spent on on goods, not not wasted largely from much at all from these existing studies, but are spent on increased consumption. We know that, and we know that increased consumption stimulates economic activity in Alaska. You, we know that it's spent on small businesses. We know that it's spent on increased food. We know it's spent on gasoline. We know it's spent on things that, that increase economic activity uh, in Alaska. What we, what we haven't really focused on is whether it's doing something else, which is increasing businesses themselves, increasing the, the investment side, increasing the, 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 the productivity side, um, increasing the offering of services, goods and services side. Uh, but the Kenya study uh, indicates that that goes on as well when you when you have these sorts of these sorts of programs. So it's a I think it's an important step in understanding the PFD and understanding what the PFD brings uh, is bringing to Alaska and bringing to uh, uh, bringing to the to Alaska economic activity. I mean, that's the just that's the justification that people give for for no income taxes. Right. Because the argument is the wealthy will take that increment, those incremental dollars that otherwise would go in income taxes, will take those incremental dollars and invest them and produce economic activity from investing them. Well, what the Kenya study is saying is that's not only true of the top of the of the upper income brackets, it's true also of lower income brackets. It's true also of people who don't earn enough yet or don't receive enough income yet in order to make those investments. If you give them the opportunity of a, some additional income, that's what they will do with it. They will invest it. Uh, 
right, uh, and create additional economic well, activity. And so, those median it, those median income companies, I mean, those are the smaller companies. The large, you know, you'd assume that in the higher incomes, it's the bigger companies which employ fewer people versus the medians, which is the mom and pops. Which, in, I mean, that's like 80 of the overall workforce in America is these small sole proprietorships or mom and pop businesses. So, I mean, you, again, the disconnect is what's killing me. Less than sixty seconds here, Brad. Well, it's a it's a it's a big study. I think those who are interested in the issue certainly should read the article and then start digging into the study and, and understanding its implications for Alaska. Surprisingly, at least in Alaska, uh, news outlet ran the article, ran the NPR article, but there isn't. They didn't add any Alaska analysis to it. That's that's something that I think we need to start talking about. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for sustainable budgets, the weekly top three next week, the Christmas top three the holiday top three i don't know what brad's gonna do i mean are you gonna he's gonna grapple with it it's gonna be fun it's gonna be fun stuff brad thank you so much my friend it's good to talk with you michael as always thanks for having me hour two is dead ahead i have no idea what we're gonna talk about but it'll be fun whatever it is back with more right after this I mean, the numbers on this, Brad, were startling. And, uh, you know, as as many people just cringe whenever they start talking about the PFD being a perfect model for UBI, um, you know, the the problem is, is that this shows exactly what part of the issue is, that they are gutting that middle class, which would be the biggest ones that have would have some excess money to be able to to uh, to perform and participate in entrepreneurship and therefore create. I mean, 80 percent they were getting. Oh, you're only getting 50 bucks a month. But all of a sudden, because they have their businesses, they had an 80 percent increase in that money. Uh, instead of just the money that was coming in, they used it for something, and now they're generating 80% more revenue than what they were getting on the UBI because they were able to invest it. I mean, it's it's astonishing. Yeah, it shows that it shows that the 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 problem, the issue faced by middle income families isn't necessarily uh, lack of creativity. It's not that the that the upper incomes are more creative or you know know better how to manage their money. It's the lack of financial capital. I mean, these are people who couldn't go out and borrow additional money, right? They don't have, they don't own their homes. They don't have the, 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 the ability to establish credit and, and get borrowed from banks. So this essentially created that sort of capital formation, the opportunity for capital formation. And when they bundled their capital by bundling their capital together, uh, they were able to really, you know, generate a, a significant amount of investment opportunity, investment capital that was available out there. And and then with that capital availability, it unleashed the creativity of of those in those you know who were able to access that capital, those in the villages. And they had they had substantial creativity. They created new businesses. They created expanded businesses. They created you know they went out. <laughs> went out and bought cars and you know could could have a uber service over there they could have a car service over there it the, the the creativity was there what was what was lacking was the was the was the access to capital and and giving them the access to capital uh, uh unbundled the or un- unlocked the uh, the creativity so it, it's the same it's the same argument it's the same argument we have by the upper income. Oh, we need the additional money because we'll invest it wisely and we'll we'll build we'll build bigger businesses. We we'll know better bigger, than you. Bigger bank. Essentially. Yeah, we know better than yeah, you. Exactly. And this and this said, 
wait a second, no, <laughs> we, these people know how to do it too. Uh, let's stop, you know, let's give them the opportunity to do that. In Alaska, we have, we, we don't have to create UBI. We don't have to take from one income group and give it to another to do it. We have, you know, free money from, from the, the state's royalty will. And, and the question is, do we, do we share it equally and give everybody the opportunity to build from that? Or essentially, by using PFD cuts to fund government as opposed tax, to taxes, do we, do, we, do we push that free money into the hands of, of the upper income bracket? And the Kenya study is telling us there is wealth, there is, there is opportunity uh, to be created by making sure that it gets in the hands of all income brackets as opposed to pushing it in the hands of one income bracket. <laughs> Brian just said, nice tie-in to Christmas. Remember who Jimmy Stewart worked for in It's a Wonderful Life. Well, Jimmy Stewart worked for him. I just happened to watch this. Uh, the Jimmy Stewart worked for himself. That was the Bailey Savings and Loan, right? I mean, it was for all the community. He was giving loans to small people who had a house who were working in the community and were able to pay it back. And somebody else wanted to take all the money. Mr. Potter wanted to take all the money and use it for himself and put them all in slums and increase his own thing instead of putting it back in the hands of the people. And that, uh, you know, instead of putting it and allowing them to make their choices for their homes or their businesses and everything else, which is exactly what we've got going on right here. I mean, it's it, there's your Christmas top one there, Brad, is the, the 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 similarities between It's a Wonderful Life and what we're facing here in the state of Alaska. It's the potters of the world that are holding us, uh, that are kind of holding us too, because they know better than we, that we should just live in our slums or live with what we have and be happy with it and let them do it all. That's the, that's the whole thing right there. There you go. The, the, it's a wonderful life. The Alaska, the subtitle is the Alaska PFT story. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I mean, it's astonishing, but that shows you in, in just a, a microcosm of what would happen if we went back to the full, PFD, uh, what could happen? We'd have a we'd have a boom, I, and I think the economy would definitely the, the the private economy would definitely respond to that in a big way. Yeah, I I I think so also, Michael. I mean, the press loves to go out and the 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 Binkley led press anymore loves to go out and do these stories of oh Johnny, you know, we we gave money to it and they spent it on alcohol, or we gave money to him and they spent it on drugs. I mean, they love to do those those stories but we don't see stories of they took the money they took their share of the state's resource wealth and they built it into a small business that that now employs you know four or five people or or six or seven and they're continuing to invest invest in that in that small business we we don't have we don't have stories like that and they and i know they exist and now the kenya the kenya study is telling us they exist on a larger scale they likely exist on a larger scale uh, than what we than what we've anticipated before. So it's um, you know, we, <laughs> to, we'll 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 begin the day with the press and we'll end the day with the press. It's a matter of what the press puts emphasis on, right? It's right. a matter of of the stories they try to find. And when you've got press that that's trying to you know drive everything's the PFD's fault, then they're going to find the negative stories. There are yeah. positive stories out there. Well, when they become, when, again, when they become lazy and they stop looking into it and they take everything at face value and just parrot it, that's a problem. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Next week, buddy. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Thanks so much for coming on board. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. 
Hour two, dead ahead, the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will see you on the other side. thing back in its holster we haven't gone anywhere i don't understand check out the michaeldukeshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast welcome to the party pal the, the michael dukes show the greed and the entitlement is astounding to me what more could you want from a low-budget radio program this is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to the program. Hour two of this Tuesday edition of the Michael Luke Show. Kind of our our delve. We're going to have a couple times this week. We're going to dip a little bit into politics, but for the most part, it's going to be just it's going to be fun. It's going to be you and me hanging out, doing our thing, and I am looking forward to it. Um, all right. Um, so what should, I guess we, we got Chris Story coming up at the end of the hour. And who knows? Maybe Chris is listening now and we'll call in early and talk a little bit about maybe we should give him a Backyard Millionaire Minute. Should I send him a text and tell him to bring in the Backyard Millionaire Minute um, here early uh, early on? That, that would be um, – uh, let me let me just ask him. Uh, Want to do a backyard millionaire segment? I mean, why not? It's you know, um, why not? It's 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 more fun. Um, all right, so we'll we'll ask him that. Uh, we're just finished up with Brad Keithley on tomorrow's program. We're going to be talking with Michelle Overstreet from my house in Wasilla. Which is a uh, it's a it's a nonprofit that deals uh, particularly with teen homelessness in the uh, teen homelessness in the valley, which, uh, you know, you wouldn't think that would be a, a huge issue. Boy, it's a huge issue. It really is. And Michelle has been doing a lot of good work. She and I have done some stuff together over the years, and uh, she is fantastic. So uh, Michelle is going to be on the program tomorrow morning to talk about my house, what's going on for Christmas, kind of give us an update. It's been a while. I think it's been a couple of years since we had her on the program. She should be a more regular guest so that we can give her uh, – uh, uh, you know, a little more support and a little more kudos for what she does for the community down here in the Matsu. Uh, she does some amazing stuff. So Michelle Overstreet's going to be with us tomorrow. Um, I don't think <clears throat> I don't think that uh, Mike Shower is going to be with us tomorrow. Uh, this was his off week, right? <laughs> I can't even I can't even keep track. If it was his off, if th- this was his off week, last week was his off week. 
no, Mike was with us last week. So he's going to be missing this week. And then next week, it's going to be Mike Shower. He's going to get the final word with us on the final show of the day. So that'll be uh, that'll be good. And um, that's uh, oh Thursday, uh, Doctor uh, uh, Doctor Frank is going to be with us because he's coming into town. So I said um, so I said that I would uh, um, I'd have him on to uh, to discuss, and we can. Uh, <clears throat> get a little tease. He's going to come in and uh, he's coming in for another presentation. He's going to talk about election integrity. Uh, and uh, then on Firearms Friday, we'll talk about some firearm stuff. And I'll try and sprinkle in some other good stuff uh, in the meanwhile. Uh, I guess I, I have one final comment on Brad's uh, uh, on Brad's. Whoa. Let's not smack the microphone on Brad's uh, commentary here. A lot of this comes from basically, this is my opinion now. This is nobody else's opinion. This is my opinion. Um, This comes from a lack of journalistic pride, journalistic integrity, maybe, where we're seeing a lot of these things and we're seeing a lot of these stories And yet we're not seeing any kind of uh, pushback. We're not I'm not saying that journalists should distrust everyone, but I'm saying that it should be the old Reagan trust, but verify kind of comment. Uh, For example, this story that has been repeated in many news outlets. But, for example, Brad was talking about this story from KTUU, Alaska's news source, that says Anchorage School District facing $98 million budget deficit. And it goes into this. It's a small article, but it goes into how, oh, they're facing this huge budget deficit and they don't know what they need to do. And they're trying to they're, they're trying to fix it and they just don't know. And they could have to do all these things. And the shortfall is already 30 million more. More than last year's deficit, which comp- which made the district close schools and reduce staff and do all this kind of stuff. And yet nobody has bothered to look beyond the press release or the interview that somebody did. This is in this case, George, uh, Georgina Fernandez did with the superintendent. Um, and, for example, pull out like what David Boyle pulled out. David Boyle has got an article up in Must Read from about, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 days ago where he talks about the same thing. He talks about the same thing about the school board, about the budget deficit, about what's going on. Um, But he said what the district does not tell you is that there is a whole bunch of stuff going on, including um, the fact that there is a huge chunk of money inside the school district's budget that's sitting in their um, sitting in their uh, general fund that by law, they're only supposed to have something like 10% in their general fund of their fund balance of their overall operating budget. But they got a pass for because of COVID that doesn't expire until 2025. They lifted that restriction. And right now, the school, the school district has 21%, which means that about 30 or $40 million of that money is sitting there in the account just sitting there. And they're crying poor mouth, even though they know that it's only supposed to be at an 8 or 10%. I mean, I can't find the article for some reason. It's not. But, I mean, it's right there. You could see it. You could see it right there. 
But did any of these other reporters actually go to the meeting or look? Because the <clears throat> here's the thing. The school district publishes the information. Um, they have a press conference that say one thing, and then they release information that says something completely different because they know, shocker, that nobody is going to go down there and dig through all that stuff. But David Boyle had it. He, he, he dug it out and showed it there and said, look, right, right here. Right here, the school board, the deficit, the the you know, it's all right. It's it's all right here. Why? Why? You don't have to look any further. You want to you want a uh, uh, you want a, uh, a, a an example of how to fix it. It's right there. Uh, here it is. How deep is the Anchorage's budget hole? Um, they have $118 million, almost $119 million as an unreserved balance in their general fund. 118, they got a $95 million budget hole, but they got $118 million. They are currently running at 21.55% of their reserves. The school budget, the school board's policy is to not exceed 8%, but they're at almost 22%. The excess surplus above that 8% is $74 million. That would that would take a big chunk out of that $95 million budget hole, right? 74 out of 95. But did anybody else, and this is from a table that was that the school district publishes. This is from their annual comprehensive financial report. Did any other reporter actually look at that? Did any other reporter actually dig into that? No. Oh, it's a citizen journalist who, who's it? Okay. Well, you know, I guess, uh, there you go. I mean that, so, so one of the huge part of the problem here is that we do not have a, we do not have a journalist class that is actually doing the work. Because either one, they're pushing an agenda, it doesn't match up with their agenda lines, or two, they're just lazy and it's okay to just paraphrase the press release. That's what it all comes down to. Okay. Um, anyway, that that's the stuff that caught my attention uh, for today. Uh, what else we got? Uh, Chris Story is going to be joining us for an early segment because he's a nice guy going to come in. I want to give him a chance to do the backyard millionaire kind of thing to help us all out because that's positive. Talk about entrepreneurship. Talk about, you know, what Brad Keithley was just talking about. What if you did get your full PFD? How many more places could you, uh, how many more places could you invest in? How many more properties could you buy? How many more, you know, places could you get ready and put on the market to, uh, to rent out and fix the housing crisis that they're having down in Anchorage? I mean, you know, there's a lot of things you could do with that, um, and I think that's a good opportunity there for sure. Uh, one final thing here, I guess. We'll do a piece of good news because, of course, we need to do a piece of good news. Um, and I just had to laugh at this because this is a fantastic um, this is a fantastic story. Um, there are now dozens of people across the country— who are going to be getting socks for Christmas. Now, usually you'd be like, oh, groan. But these folks couldn't be happier uh, because L. Gianelli of Stockton, California, little L, 
has been making colored socks with silly designs on them for years and sending them to seniors in nursing and care homes to brighten up their day. It all started from a closer-than-close friendship she had with her grandmother, which instilled the value of spending time with elders. And so Elle, who is a high school junior, started the project called Socks for Seniors. She did that all the way back in the seventh grade and has so far spruced up 92 care homes in 48 states and made a few pen pals along the way. But as Christmas approaches, she's doubling down on her hobby to send boxes of silly socks to seniors in all 50 states in time for the big day. Gianelli told CBS, she said, I know they have toys for tots and things for kids, you know, and you always seem to forget about the seniors. Maybe they don't have a family or maybe they live super far away and they're only getting like a postcard. So to ensure that seniors are those little toes and hearts stay toasty warm this holiday season, L is hoping to raise $10,000 through a GoFundMe for a big sock drive. And she has received 90 as of a week ago. I think this is a week ago. Yeah. As of a week ago. She has received about 95% of her funding with a total of 19 days to go. So she's still got about another 10 days to go do it. But little L. Gianelli is creating all these fun socks um, for seniors in their senior homes. And these are some cool-looking socks. Uh, and so if you feel like giving a few bucks uh, today, why not uh, Why not uh, throw, why not throw a, a few bucks at L. Gianelli and her uh, – uh, her socks for seniors program. You got toys for tots. You need socks for seniors, and uh, I can just imagine my grandfather walking around with a uh, with some of these socks on their feet. She's got one pair that's got little uh, little Boston Terriers on it. One pair that's got like sunglasses on the socks and everything else. It is a cool, cool story. So silly socks for seniors is the cool story for the day today. Merry Christmas to you, Merry. Merry Christmas. I'm all about that. All right. Uh, so we're going to be back. Uh, Chris Story is going to come on board. We're going to give him a little bit of extra today, or he's going to give us a little bit of extra. We're going to have a Backyard Millionaire segment followed by our positivity segment. It's uh, Tuesday. The Michael Duke Show. Back with more. And Chris Story right after this. It's the Michael Dukes Show. Oh yeah, feeling this holiday thing. Give me some nog. You can fake your holiday spirit, or you can just try to find it for real. Happy holidays. Good luck with that. Streaming live every weekday morning, 6 to 9 a.m. on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break. In the break. Socks for seniors. I love that. I just love that. Okay. Um, let me get this all. Let me get this all. Excuse me while I whip this out. Let me get this all squared away here for Chris to be part of the show this morning. And uh, we will... Um, uh, 
Yep. Okay. All right. You hold the. You just hold that. We're going to call Chris here in just a second. Let me get caught up in the chat room and see what you guys have to say as we go through here. Okay. Um, is the Anchorage student population growing or declining? Declining. Declining. Um, uh, on a... Man, he's got to just get some kind of reward from this, and I don't know what it is exactly. Uh, can you post that article? Uh, yeah, uh, David just posted the article up in the uh, chat room above my comment. Just look for David's comment. Or I suppose I could go back and pull it again, and uh, there you go. I'll pull this one right here, and you could take a look at it. Uh, you could take a look at the numbers yourself and see what it is. Um, okay. Uh, all right. Socks for seniors. Socket to the scene. Sen- that's a whole different charity. Socket to the seniors. That's a whole different charity, Brian. Uh, Blazing Saddles should be a Christmas movie. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Uh, yeah. David gives me the actual numbers. I knew it was in decline, but ASD has lost, uh, 1,279 students this year. And that's been on a continual decline for years. And uh, plus, did you see the the absentee rate? Did you write about that, David, or did somebody else write about that? The absentee rate in the Anchorage School District is something like 40%. Uh, I mean, wow. 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 Um, all right. Blazing Saddles should be a Christmas movie. It's been a long time since I watched that uh, movie. I should we should pull that out and watch that here sometime in the near future. That would be fun. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, but what's happening in the ASD? He said I did not write about the absentee rate, says David. But what is happening in the ASD is nationwide. Yeah, I mean it's an on it's an ongoing issue. It's an ongoing issue for sure. Let's uh, let's call Mr. Story and see if we can get him on the on the blower. Hello, Mr. Dukes. Good Hello. morning. Hello, Governor. Wasn't sure I'd get you on the blower. Uh, what's uh, what's Speaking happening? Issues. 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 Oh, everything's good. Yeah, you've got. I've got a uh, brand brand new puppy, so you may hear her in the background here. So I I, I can't guarantee that this will be the cone of silence you and I are accustomed to. You mean without your other King Charles uh, Cavalier Spaniels snoring in the background while you're talking? You mean it's going to be even more? It could be. Yeah, they'll be that because he's just nestling in. But his new little sister, also a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, is a little, she could get a little uh, a little mouthy. So let's see what happens. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's great. So you got a second one. One was not enough. Is that, uh, you just got, you got to have two? Was it a for a match pair or what? That's rather painful. We lost our other one six, seven months ago. So uh, Reagan, our surviving Cavalier, was lonely, and uh, so nice. we decided to get him a sister. That's great. That's great. That's important stuff. They do. They do need companions. I will say that Bosco right. Bosco is definitely enjoying um, the companionship of Terry's dog. Uh, 
Elvira. So they've had a good time. So yeah, sometimes they need a they need a friend. That's what it's uh, that's this what it's all true. about. So congratulations, my friend. I know I lost my dog Ruger about eighteen months ago, and now that I've got Bosco, it does fill a it does fill a certain hole that was in your life that you didn't quite know was there. So that's a dog shaped hole, a dog shaped hole. And uh, if I was dyslexic, it would be a dog shaped hole. All right, we're going to continue on. Uh, Chris Story, our guest, the Michael Duke Show, uh, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Here he goes. Uh, let's jump into it right now. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Yep, I'm it, the thing in the I whatever you say, I believe you. Welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke show and it is Tuesday, which means Chris Story normally comes on board with us, but usually in the third segment to talk about um, you know, positivity and pottery and all that kind of stuff. But this morning, um I kind of last minute at him. I kind of gave him a sneak attack in the last minute and said, "Hey, you want to come on and Talk because I don't really want to talk about politics. I'll be honest with you. I'm just I'm kind of just done with that. I mean, we we hit as much as I wanted to hit this morning, but I feel like being a little bit more uplifting. And so I thought, why not bring in the genius that is the backyard millionaire maker and see what he has to say and give us a little bit of a segment on the backyard millionaire before we get our positivity. I also get more out of him for nothing, so I like that as well. See that that is a that's a I'm a capitalist at heart. Uh, Chris Story joins us this morning. Hello, my friend. How are you today? I'm starting to fi- I'm starting to figure out why you post dated the check to 2025. That's yes, interesting. No, you, More for nothing. You missed the part. It was 2125. You missed that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was it was 2125. So hold on. To, hold on to that thing. It'll be good then. It'll be good by then for sure. Um, all right, Mr. Story. So <clears throat> first of all, congratulations on your new puppy, which is uh, always good. Okay. Uh, you're a Spaniel guy. I'm a, I'm a Boston Terrier guy. I like that. I, you know, people have got a certain breed that they like and they stick with it. I love that. Um, it's like a brand. so yeah, it's like a brand. It is like a brand. Um, uh, so we might hear Chris's new puppy in the background this morning as she, uh, kind of, you know, goes through and explores her world. Uh, but Chris, I know you had almost no time to prepare for this part, but uh, let's do a little bit of backyard millionaire stuff. We were just talking about the PFD and how the lack of the PFD is kind of affected entrepreneurship and everything else in the state because people don't have as much money to invest. But uh, you know, even though we don't have as much, we could still use that to, you know, create our own wealth in our own backyard, right? Absolutely. And just a reminder: becoming a backyard millionaire is a program to get rich slowly. And, and the other the other side of the coin is that the ultimate protection against tyranny is home ownership, is local ownership, owning more of your own backyard. We should, all of us want for each other to own more of our own backyard. It's wonderful that people are, are you know, seeking asylum from America here to Alaska and in our own backyard, they're seeking to uh, they're leaving the, the regime of California or wherever, and some are seeking just colder climates. Some are seeking just uh, the lifestyle that you and I have enjoyed our entire lives. And that's wonderful. 
But we Alaskans, you in your own backyard ought to own more of it. That's a goal of mine for you, for myself. And so our four home formula may take you 10 years, may take you five years. You may already be there and on your way to uh, 10 or more homes. And that's wonderful or properties. But just a reminder, it's a, it's the ultimate protection from tyranny. Uh, in addition to the Second Amendment would be the Fifth Amendment, your right to private property ownership and that you have control of it. And I really want to talk to people that maybe, as you were just suggesting, find themselves <clears throat> with less, maybe because for whatever reason, whatever the circumstance, be it the, the, the having of the permanent fund, be it a uh, circumstance, maybe a, a big bill came in or some liability you weren't expecting. I want to talk to you as though you could rent to own. And that's something we don't see very often. It's not an opportunity that's that's really promoted much these days are rent to own or lease to own options, but anybody can do an, a rent to own. And this is a bit of wordplay and I don't mean it to be facetious, but if you rent like you own, one day you will. So no matter where you are, if you're renting an apartment, a home, uh, whatever it is, rent as if you own it and one day you will. So it's a, it's a pretty simple formula and it can sound facetious as I say, it can sound a little trite, but I've used it, and it's true. It works. Well, explain that to me. Rent it like I own it. So, for example, if I'm paying a lease on my house here, you know, tell me how can I rent it like I own it in that regard? Well, it's essentially adopting an owner's mind, having ownership, even though you're paying rent. Look, let's be honest. When you leverage your first property, your second or third, you're paying rent to the bank. You're renting the money. So there's already that symbiotic relationship where somebody you're you're in a leverage situation most of the time, not everybody, and eventually you won't be. Eventually your tenants will have paid off the mortgage for you. But in the meantime, you're renting the money. Okay. If before you can rent the money because maybe you don't have the capital for down payment, maybe you're lacking the credit, maybe you're lacking, maybe you just started a business and you're told you need two years of tax returns and you, you've got to wait a little while. Fine. You're renting the property and look at it as though you are paying the property tax. Well, I'm not. Yes, you are. It's in the rent. It's baked in. Look at it as though you're paying the principal, the interest, and also the maintenance. And be responsible, not just aware of these things that you're actually paying already, but be responsible such that when something breaks, fix it. Or at least take an interest in it getting fixed quickly. And how does it get fixed? Who do they call? Watch the repair person. Watch how it works and act as though you own the property. And for example, if you're in an apartment situation, there's a really good chance you're not paying the water bill. But yes, you are. It's baked into the rent. So when the toilet starts to run or the faucet starts to leak and drip and just understand that meter's spinning 24-7, and it could be costing your landlord a fortune, which eventually is going to cost you an increased rent over time. So you might as well take an interest in it now as though you own the place. One time, Michael, I rented a home. Uh, I've owned this home now for 22 years, but seven years, one tenant rented this home from me. And when I took it back from them, when they left and gave up possession and, and they actually bought a home of their own, I walked in and it had been freshly painted. A window had been replaced, even though it was a neighbor's kid who broke it. And they, they had acted as though they owned the house. Well, they moved from my rental into a home of their own and they've since bought two more. 
it works. I once, Tiffany and I managed an apartment building. It's very much the story that's kind of embedded inside the backyard millionaire. We managed an apartment building we lived in for seven years. And we took an, we retiled the floors. We put in a new bathroom. We remodeled. We painted. We constantly took an interest as though we owned the property. Um, that's everything from how we leased it to whom we leased it and how the maintenance was done and all. I didn't get paid for maintenance. It was just part of my rent equivalent, but I did it. I did a tremendous amount of it, but it was like a seven-year education. We got like a master's degree, a doctorate, if you will, in property management and ownership. And so renting like you own will eventually lead to ownership. It's guaranteed. That's an interesting concept because, I mean, you know, if there's little things around the house, like, I mean, I, I take care of, you know, I lease my place. I take care of little things around the house. If something busts, I break it, you know. But, I mean, if it's something major, I figure that that's also baked into the rent. And, like, you know, if the, if the dishwasher dies, I, you know, they'll buy me a new dishwasher. I'll install it for them or do whatever. But they, yeah. you know, so, I mean, I, 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 there's got to be a balance line in there. I mean, if the furnace Absolutely. if the furnace explodes and something goes wrong there and it's a major home improvement, I mean I'm not going to sink twenty thousand dollars into a house that I don't own, mm-hmm. right? But you're talking about little exactly. little maintenance, right? I'm talking about not just little maintenance like light bulbs, not just little maintenance like a drawer that's not working. I took back a possession of a home recently, and the cabinet door in the bathroom was hanging by a thread. I'm like, why two screws? Two screws is all it would take for this cabinet door to have not just been hanging there. And I can't help but wonder how long was it hanging like that? So it's little things like that. Of course, if you have a clogged pipe or if you have, a, as you say, a furnace or a stove that goes out or something, of course. But if you take an interest in not just reporting the problem and, and saying, what can I do? How can I help facilitate it? Um, you know, and then watch how things get done. Notice how the landlord handles the situation. Notice which repair person is employed and how they do their work. And and I would take an interest as well as to say, well, the repair person's there. By the way, can I ask how much you charge for this? And notice it and say, well, and let's just say it's a plumber. You're probably going to hear something around eighty to one hundred twenty-five bucks an hour. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. There we go. And so you're educating yourself and you you're adopting an owner's mind all the while you rent. That's what leads to home ownership. And that's what leads to literally having not just an owner's mind, but an owner's action plan, and then ultimately deeds to your own property. Okay. So I've taken possession in my mind of the, of the property. Mm-hmm. I'm, t- I'm taking care of it. What's the next step? Well, is, and this is going to sound too simple, but to get pre-qualified with a mortgage broker, Oh, I just look. I, 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 I'm two years into a, a, a foreclosure or bankruptcy or medical bankruptcy, or I just started working. I don't care. Go and get pre-qualified with somebody you know, like and trust. You've been referred to. That's a mortgage broker that can tell you exactly where you stand on the tree of life relative to credit. What is your credit, and what can you do to improve it? Oh, you've. Oh, you've been a responsible citizen. You've paid cash for everything you own. You've never played the credit game. Okay, here's how we're going to get you started. So in two, three, five, or 10 years, when you're ready, you'll be able to play the game. And getting pre-qualified also gives you a status of, okay, what kind of down payment do you need? Down payment plus closing costs. Wait a minute, who can pay for closing costs? Suddenly, you're starting to get a treasure map, and then you can follow that treasure map for 
a period of time. And again, I keep coming back to two, five or 10 years because it does take time. I took me seven years from the moment I decided I wanted to own until I did own. It was approximately seven years of working towards it, being told, not yet. Sorry, credit's not good enough. Oh, now I know good for you. You've saved 18,000. Wonderful. 18 isn't enough. You need more money or you need more time on this job or you started a new business. Wow. Aren't you an entrepreneur? Two more years. Oh, and it's just a matter of though following the map and, and ultimately setting a goal and then following the map. So it may take time, but it, it's going to take even longer if you postpone getting started. So if you live and rent like you own, one day you will follow the plan of getting pre-qualified and then starting to look and remember in our 110-3-1 program, look at 100 properties. I mean, when I say look, it's online. Look online, take an active interest in the flyers or online, ask your favorite realtor to put you onto a subscription where emails are coming to you every single day when a property is listed, price changes, pay attention, start to learn the market. That's all part of that hundred. Then you may look at 10 a little closer. You may actually make three offers before you land your first property. So that's the 110-3-1 Get Rich Slowly program by Dolph DeBruce. It takes time. None of this is quick. If, if somebody promises you quick riches in real estate, I would run. <laughs> Just run away, run away. So the Backyard Millionaire program, you talk about, again, give me the synopsis here in about 60 seconds. Uh, it's uh, four properties, or depending on where you live, depending on the pro- the the cost, the median cost of the home. Give me the give me the quick synopsis here. I started with four because when I started this program, the average price of a home was two hundred twenty-five to two hundred fifty thousand. Obviously, it's gone considerably up to four hundred and thirty on average across the country. So, really, two homes would get you to about that million-dollar status of net worth eventually. But I like four-home formula because it also ratchets up your passive income over time, but none of it will matter if you A, don't have an interest in doing this, or B, you don't get started. So if you don't have any money or you don't have any credit or you have worse bad credit, I don't care. Today's the day you get started right now. Get started right now. You too could become your own backyard millionaire and you have a handbook, not a handbook, a pamphlet, a brochure, a inspirational tome that you will send people via PDF that will outline this for them if they are interested in checking it out. And the truth be told, this is the last time I'll ever give it away because we're actually converting it into a paperback come spring. But right now, if you text MAKER at 299-7653, I'll send you the PDF for free. 299-7653 and uh, text the word MAKER. Uh, text, uh, I'm just putting it in the chat room right now and you can get this, uh, you can get that, uh, scored away. All right. Chris story, the man from Homer, I, uh, he's going to stick with us here. I appreciate you uh, giving us a little bit of the inside scoop on, uh, how to become a backyard millionaire. I appreciate that. And next up, we're going to, uh, he's going to soothe our souls. He's going to give us a little bit of a positivity boost. Chris Story is our guest. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more and Chris Story right after this.
It's the Michael Dukes Show. Oh, it's a magical Christmas time again. Your kids are counting on you. Yeah, Dad! Now, if only someone would do something for you. Honey, headache! Oh. Streaming live every weekday morning, 6 to 9 a.m. on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Chris Story, our guest here on the program. And uh, you can text the word maker to 299-7653 and he will send you a PDF copy. Last time only ever. He'll never do this again. That's it. Unless I ask him. Uh, So it'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be fantastic. Um, Chris Byers just said, soon as the housing bubble uh, bubble pops, I am moving south. (laughs) He's he's waiting. He's waiting for that particular time. Uh, everybody in the chat room, since we started talking about dogs, everybody else sounded off on their favorite types of dogs. Jeannie said, I knew you were a Spaniel family. Special place in my heart for them. Uh, Jim mm-hmm. says he's a golden retriever type. Uh, uh, Bill loves his Rottweilers, or as he calls them, Rottenweilers. Jeannie says she likes, <laughs> Jeannie says she likes Terriers and Spaniels. Terry likes German Shepherds. Um, Dodie loves yellow labs. Labs are fun, but they're so stupid sometimes. I just, I mean, I, we had a, oh, we had a yellow lab. Fighting words. Well, I mean, we had a yellow lab when I was growing up and I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're great dogs. They're so much fun, but sometimes they're just so dumb. Uh, but I, you know, it's again, I love all dogs. There's no dogs. In fact, here's my, uh, here's my latest, Chris can't see it, but here's my latest, uh, uh, look, this was Bosco this weekend. Uh, hanging out with me uh, just because that's what he likes to do. He likes to hang out with me. The Boston Terriers, in my mind, are the superior breed, um, but uh, <laughs> they uh, they are pretty they are pretty amazing. That's for sure. So, uh, but yeah, you just you, I didn't realize that you know I I lost my dog and I knew it was it hit me harder than I expected when I lost him. Um, but, uh, I finally was able to, uh, to pull that back together and it, uh, it was, uh, it was pretty amazing. So, uh, it's good stuff. Um, Amy says she's a Pomeranian person and then nice cardigan Welsh corgis. Oh my gosh. Rick's got nine. You have nine cardigan Welsh or you have had nine cardigan Welsh corgis. Cause my daughter would love you. She loves corgis, but, uh, yeah. Oof. Each dog is different and unique, and that's what I love. What I love is that, you know, each breed has kind of its own temperament and personality quirks, and uh, I, uh, I love Boston's for that. How about, uh, how about uh, Cavalier Ching- King Charles Spaniels? What, uh, what, are they, what, what is their personality quirks of the breed? What are, what are your favorite parts of that? Oh, they're just, they are absolutely the sweetest, kindest, most intelligent easy to train and yet independent and they're lazy and they're also incredibly athletic. So they're the perfect combination for a winter day to go do something in the snow and then come back and just lay on the couch for the rest of the day. They're just absolutely wonderful. I just sent you uh, the picture of them that should melt your heart. If you have one, if I do, if I have a heart, it'll be, uh, if you have um, any kind of a heart at all, would you send you it, will, uh, you send it via my email? Is that how you send it? Text uh, message, text message. Oh, it hasn't shown up yet. Oh, it did. It just showed up. Okay. okay. All right. So let me look at the, Oh, Oh, you can look at that and it doesn't melt your heart. Oh, that is, uh, that is, I got to share this with the, I got to share this with the, uh, 
uh, with the chat. Oh, come on back. I got to share this with the uh, chat room here, but I got to figure out how to send it to myself. Uh, send it to my chats. Okay, there we go. Uh, and I'll send it to be there. Okay, so let me uh, let me let me pull Chris's let me pull Chris's uh, picture up here. Oh, oh, that is so. Um, I will turn that off and then do that and then come over here and then uh, look at that. Okay. Oh man, that is, yeah, you're right. If that doesn't melt your heart, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what will. Here we go. This is, here's Chris's dogs right now, uh, sitting on the thing. Oh, they're so sweet. So sweet. We had a Cocker Spaniel, uh, when my wife and I first got married and I did love her. She was, she was just a doll, uh, for sure. Uh, but yeah, those are, it's a, it's a pretty dog. Um, I imagine they're probably hard to find uh, around here. It's not something that it just everybody has, uh, you know, probably not a lot of them in the state, I would imagine. No, Tiff, Tiff flew down to Seattle a couple of weeks ago to, to grab her. Tulula is her name, Tulula, because Tiffany's nickname was uh, when she was a baby, up until she was about three, she was completely bald. It was a perfect round head, but her nickname was Tulula Bald Head, sort of after Tulula Bankhead. So uh, anyway. Tallulah is the name of this new precious soul. Tallulah. I love that. I love that. Which is a little awkward when we're out in public. Tallulah. I mean, it's a little awkward. I don't know. It's it's, it's a cool name. That's a cool dog name. I love that. I think it's a cool. I renamed my first dog. His name was Max, and I renamed him to Ruger. Um, But Bosco came with, I thought that was just a good name. So I just kept it. And uh, and I think it's George Costanza's uh, uh, password. Oh, is it really? I didn't know. I didn't From know. From the ch- chocolate? Mm-hmm. No, didn't didn't know. Uh, all right, Chris Story, let's get back into it. Uh, what's our topic for today, quickly? Grit in the dip. Grit in the That just sounds disgusting. Okay, uh, grit in the dip. <laughs> We're going to get into it here. Chris Story is our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do it. Here we go. Okay. Mm-hmm. You ready? Final segment for this Tuesday. Let's uh, let's get into it. Chris Story, who was kind enough to come on board and do a little bit of uh, Backyard Millionaire stuff with us in the last segment, is now coming in for his normal segment where he puts on his guru clothes, his robes, his drape and <laughs> gi. I don't know what he does, but he comes in and he... he chance and bring some crystals and brings us up to a positivity level that we can live with uh chris story the man from homer welcome back my friend good morning again michael this robe this robe right here yeah yeah 
that robe right there. <laughs> the, I thought the leopard print was a little much, but, you know, hey, you, you pull it off well. It's fine. Thank you. Uh, and your fez. Yeah, your guru fez on top of your – It just it's kind of a weird thing, but it's all good. Uh, so today Chris is going to, um, uh, going to uh, hit us up with some positivity and a little bit of a beggar, betterment – beggarment. He's going to be a beggarment segment. Uh, and uh, today we're going to talk about the grit in your dip, which sounds just problematic. Let's put it that way. Uh, hit me with it, my friend. What's going on? Well, it's actually the grit in the dip, and you'll see why in a second. So grit we think of as stick to like a, a rugged determination, persistence, uh, perseverance, grit, to have grit. And you should have grit until it's time to quit and how do you know the difference between grit and quit or when it's time to quit if you're in a dip you'll know or a cul-de-sac so the difference is according to seth godin wonderful little book called the dip in fact he says look at some point you may just be down in a dip just before you come up over the horizon to victory just on the other side of this dip is your gold, is the gold, is whatever it is you're looking for. It's just on the other side of this dip. If you can make it through the dip, you will win. That takes grit and determination and perseverance. However, if you assess the situation and determine you're in a cul-de-sac going round and round and round, it's okay to quit. Maybe it is time to quit, reorient, and start anew and refresh yourself and say, look, I'm grateful that I had the experience, but I got off of the cul-de-sac because it ain't, I ain't going nowhere in a cul-de-sac. So is it time to quit or grit? Stick to it until you get through the dip. Well, make a, make a determination for yourself. And I'll give you a quick example. I, for six months, took my Backyard Millionaire radio program to and through a syndication program. I took it to a syndicator for six months. I signed a contract, said, yes, here's a small fortune help me get on 200 radio stations. Yes, we can do this. They had over a thousand that they had communication with. We're going to just get on 200 with my weekend show. And after six months, the syndicator worked very hard. Uh, I believe it. They were cold calling and emailing a style I don't think really works. Of course, I know this now. And it's, uh, I turned determined it was a um, cul-de-sac. It was going nowhere. They said, oh, don't quit yet. Don't quit. I said, excuse me, gentlemen. It's been six months. You've achieved absolutely nothing. I've set a pile of money on fire. We're done. Thank you very much. Good day. And what I realized was what I actually was hoping to do was to jump the line, skip the line, skip some of the work and push the easy button, throw money at a problem that, in fact, it wasn't a money kind of problem to solve. It's a word of mouth problem. And you got to go retail politics door to door all on your own and so i decided that that was a cul-de-sac in my life michael and grit to stick to it would just cost me another small fortune so i waved goodbye said goodbye to the money i'm not sad about it because it was an education and the show got better going through the meat grinder of that process made the show so much better however i am now going back to the grit is sticking to my show and doing it myself Okay, 
So there you go. That's an example of both a cul-de-sac and a dip. I still feel like I'm in the dip, but I got out of that expensive cul-de-sac. I quit. Right. You the sell, And this, of course, comes back to what we talk about quite frequently, which is self-analysis. You need to do that every now and mm-hmm. then and not just keep throwing, in your case, throwing money at the wall and watching it slide away. Uh, you needed to make a decision. Does this make sense? And that takes a little bit of, uh, of self-analysis and insight. It does. And and sometimes, you know, reorienting is is difficult. I just had a conversation the other day with a woman called Anna David, and she's a New York Times bestselling author. I say that to impress you and that I was having a conversation with her that should impress you. Okay, she's got a brand new show out called Quitting Your Way to Success or Quitting or Failing Your Way to Success, not quitting, failing. And it's it's really interesting just even to hear that name, Failing Your Way to Success. You've heard the old adage about Um, You know, every airplane is like 98% off course through most of the flight. How do you get to the moon? You're off course 90% of the time. You're, of course, correcting. So we've heard all of these cliches and analogies, but it's true. You're going to be off course. You're going to fail at some things. But again, it's not permanent unless you make it so. So you can take a failure like I just gave you an example of very expensive failure and go, ah, forget it. This just isn't for me. No, I said, I just determined like Thomas Edison determined 9,999 movies not to make a filament for a light bulb. I've simply determined one very expensive way not to attempt to get your message across the nation, but I'm still looking and we'll find a way. Uh, and of course, again, that requires, uh, you know, requires you to look at yourself and take a, take stock of what you've got and decide whether, you know, somebody else, you call it the cul-de-sac, somebody else called it the rut. Uh, I had a guy describe it to me one day and he's like, you know, you go to work, you go home, you go to work, you go home, you go to work, you go home, you go to work, you go to the bar, you go home, you go to work. I mean, it's just, and you've created this trench where you know this imaginary trench back and forth where that's all you do every day every day every day and pretty soon the problem is is that you've dug this trench by your and you can't see out of the trench that's all you can see is the trench you have to speak up over the edge and see is there something else is there something else i can do and until people analyze that and realize that they can have more or they can change their circumstance or they can take another path they are you know, they're, they're stuck. And whether it's a cul-de-sac or a rut, it's that same repetitive motion. It's the, the self-licking ice cream cone. I hate to take issue with your previous guru, but I got to tell you, at least in a rut, you're moving forward in a cul-de-sac, you're going nowhere. So I, I still prefer the cul-de-sac, Okay, but fine. nevertheless, both, both will work. Michael, can we agree to disagree? And, uh, but just pick mine. Sure. Cul-de-sac is perfect. Okay. Thank you. Was that, was that, I mean, really, was that so difficult? Yeah, I know. It's, it was hard. It really was. I had to bite my tongue pretty hard on that. But I mean, that's the it's thing. It's tough to quit though, because we're yeah. raised not to, not to think about quitting. We're raised to be, to stick to it no matter what. But again, sometimes through the process of self-analysis or maybe growth, or you just want to change direction. That's it. You know what? It's okay to let something go. I overheard a conversation the other day between two people that I found incredibly inspiring and almost gave me a permission slip to quit something. And they said, you know what? I felt free after I said, you know what? This just isn't for me. Oh, I know this is what all the the thought leaders are telling you to go do. If you don't have a click funnel, if you don't have a course to sell, if you don't have this and this woman just, you know what? 
wasn't for me. I'm moving in this direction. Her direction happened to just be book publishing, which I identify with and I like. And I'm like, you know what? I agree. I like it. It's a bit of a permission slip. So if there's something you're struggling against, beating yourself against the glass window like a fly, as Price Pritchett says, across the room is an open door. You can quit working harder and change directions and fly through the door to freedom. But you got to look at it. You got again this, and I I don't try not mm-hmm. to beat the dead horse, but you've got to analyze what you're doing. If at the end of the week you're exhausted, you've been doing the same thing over and over. Look to what next weekend is going to bring, or the weekend after that, or a weekend sometime next year. Are you going to have the same thing, the same results? Are you in that cul-de-sac? Are you just doing nothing but spinning Brodies, burning rubber, and 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 uh, you know wasting away your car and your gas going nowhere? Or are you actually moving towards something? And you're right. Quitting is hard. The few times in my life that I've actually quit a thing, it was – and one of the times was when I moved down to South Central. That was hard. There was lots of opportunity. There was lots of pros. There was – you know, the, but, the, but breaking that – you know, breaking that chain was hard. Still the best thing I ever did. At the time, though, it was, it was excruciating. I mean, but I had but to I think, it, I think it was made even – it was made even more difficult for you, Michael, due to the, the ankle bracelet and monitoring you had to wear. But still, well, it's true. you did it. It's true. You did it. That's why they have bolt cutters. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it, it is difficult. You've got to, but you've got to look beyond it and see the opportunity. 90 seconds here. Chris Story, I love HomerAlaska.com. The grit in the dip. Hit me with it. You know, take, as you just have so eloquently pointed out, analyze where you are. Where do you want to go? Are you sure you're on the path that you're choosing or was it chosen for you? Are you in the rut of your choosing or somebody else's? Are you moving towards your goal? Are you moving away from what you've always wanted to accomplish? Life is short. It is way too short to stick with something that isn't serving you or the people around you, your community. There is something for you to do. You were born on purpose and with a purpose. And if you don't feel you're aligned with it right now, Take a five-minute period of time, sit down with a blank sheet of paper, and just start writing ideas. Come up with 10, 15, 20 ideas for what else you could do in life right now. That's, and that, that's, there you go. That's the first step. What else could you do to fulfill you, to make some money, to be able to survive, or just to soothe your soul? Chris Story, the man from Homer. Folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow, Michelle Overstreet from My House joins us. Have a great day. I mean, that's the thing. I think a lot of people just don't even think about, you know, this is my lot in life. It's not a lot, but it's a life, right? I mean, it's yeah. just, this is it. I'm going to do this job, and I'm going to do it to the day I die, and I'm just going to march back and forth like a good soldier ant and do what I need to do. And the the thing is, that's that's just not that that there can be more. There can be more, and whether it's a side hustle or some kind of full time thing. There's other things you can do. And one thing I one expression I like that I heard a long time ago and it, it stuck with me is that are you living the same year over and over again or are you living a new each year? Are, are you just repeating this year what you did last year because it's what you've done, what you've always done? Jim Rohn has four key questions to analyze your own life. And, and this is probably something worth sharing. He says, you know, relative to what you're going to do or, or something that is you want to do or goals, why? Like, why do you want it? Um, why not? Why not you? 
and why not now? And if you ask yourself those things as you analyze anything you wish to do in life, you'll probably get to the bottom of whether or not you really even want it. And you better know that before you spend any time working towards it or on it is, are you sure this is what you want? And be careful about what it is you say you want because your brain will hear it, acknowledge it and begin to work on it. And then if you don't achieve it in the gap between reality and expectation lives disappointment and not failure, but disappointment in yourself, if nothing else. And that creates anxiety and stress and depression, a lot of things that yeah. we can't necessarily explain, but it could just literally be in that gap between expectation and reality. So that, be careful about what it is you say you want. Well, that's why daydreaming can be actually can be dangerous, right? I mean, because if you're daydreaming about the wrong thing or you think, and then it's presented to you because your brain has kind of worked it out and circumstances are, and all of a sudden, oh my God, it's stressful. It's panic inducing. It's, I mm-hmm. mean, I've experienced that where I thought, well, this is what I want. And then you get close to it and you're like, well, wait a minute. Is that what I really want? Or is there something else? It's a, it, it's a hard, yeah. it's a hard road to hoe, but. All right, my friends. Ho, ho, ho. Next week, it's all Christmas stuff. So bring on your Christmas hat next week. We're going to do two segments again. Happiest Christmas memories and then some kind of Christmas positivity. All right? Sounds great, my friend. Take care. Thank you, folks. We're out of time. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, my friend. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll see you tomorrow. our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show